Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Crazy Money. This is your host, Paul Ollinger, but you knew that. It's a great day to be a while. It's a great. <laughs> I'm going to do this in one take, damn it. This is a one take intro. It's a great day to be alive. I believe that. This episode will be available starting June 30th. And as I think about it, that's the end of the second fiscal quarter. That's a concept I haven't thought about in quite some time. Previously in my corporate career, I thought about quarters a lot. My life was segmented out into 90-day increments based on which we had our sales goals based. You had to get your your sales deals run within the quarter to get full credit for them. Your clients wanted their budgets to run within the quarter so that they could pay for it with the budgets allocated to that quarter. Lots involved with getting the advertising trains to run on time back then. Anyway, I don't think about it anymore. It's not June 30th. It's Tuesday. What's the weather going to be? It's going to rain or it's going to be sunny. Got nothing to do with where we are in the 90-day fiscal quarter cycle. This has not been a good Q2 for a lot of people. I can't imagine there's a lot of people out there who are psyched about their Q2 numbers, by the way. So my heart goes out to you. If Q2 was particularly brutal to you, I hope that Q3 brings you better news from both a viral and economic standpoint. You know who had a good Q2, I bet? Zoom. The people who sell video conferencing tools are just like, that was the greatest quarter I've ever had. When they were forecasting, I bet nobody was thinking, well, there's probably going to be a global pandemic this quarter. Let's bake that into our numbers. No, 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 no. The quarter started on April 1st, and the goals were already set on March 15th. So I bet they didn't have it in their numbers. I should reach out to my friend who runs National Sales for Zoom and find out. Anyway, let's talk about success. Today is about success. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a second. First, I want to talk about gratitude. Okay, let me tell you something. We're going to talk about success with an excellent guest today. His name is Trip Lanier. He is a men's coach, and he is the author of a book called This Book Will Make You Dangerous. This episode, by the way, is not just for men. So women, ladies, can I say ladies? When you say women, that sounds a little aggressive. And I don't mean to sound that way. Anyway, if you've got a husband at home or a brother at home or a dad at home who is miserable in his work, he should read this book. And you should listen to this interview with Trip because he works with a lot of guys who are very successful but not happy in their work and helps them find meaning, aliveness, and love in their lives. And I want to tell you about that. Oh, here's what I was going to get to before we talked about Trip. Today's gratitude theme is the pool. The pool. Here's what I'm grateful for. The pool in the last, oh, let's call it 14 days, has been a great source of joy for my family and me. When I say the pool, we do have a pool at home, which I'm very grateful for also, but this has been the pool that we belong to, the club. I belong to a club. I belong to a country club. That's weird to say, but I do. And I'm very proud to belong to. I'm very proud that I'm able to belong to it. The club is integrated, by the way. This is not an exclusive club based on race or gender or anything like that, okay? The club has reopened. The pool has reopened on a limited basis, and the kids and Stacy and I have gotten out there as much as we've been able to because they have this reservation system system where everybody can't just go to the pool anymore because you have to have social distancing, right? So we've gone to the pool at our appointed times. We have relished the opportunity to swim. We have relished the opportunity to have a poolside bite in the little cafe there that's been lovely. And just today, we had a swim meet. You can't see me because this is an audio show, obviously. 
I like to state the obvious, but I'm doing swim meet in air quotes because today was kind of a virtual swim meet. It was just us swimming against ourselves. And because my kids are both nine and 10 years old, it was the shortest swim meet I have ever been to because they've been segmenting the day. Like if your kids are seven and eight, they swim at like 10 to noon. Our segment was nine and 10 year olds from one to three. And it took an hour and 10 minutes to get through a swim meet, which if your kids have ever been to swim meets, you know that these things can last for hours. These are like the longest sporting events ever. And especially down here in the South, we have summer evening or afternoon thunderstorms. They'll throw a nice two hour delay in there just so you get home at, you know, 11, 15 on a Monday night. Great way to start your week out. No, no. Today, midday swim meet, 75 minutes long. It was the best thing ever. My kids were happy. They got an ice cream afterwards. They swam. Now they're back in the house, washed up. I think their PJs are on. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. I think their PJs are on. They're sitting in the air conditioning, watching TV. Life is good. It's not perfect, but it's good. Hope you are doing well at whatever's happening in your house and that things are tolerable because this isn't going to go away anytime soon, folks. I'm afraid this corona thing is here for us for another 12 to 18 months. It sucks to say out loud, but that's the new normal. You may have read the article I wrote about uh, surviving and arriving. If you want to be happy, change your metrics. I wrote that mid-April, and it was about how, look, don't kill yourself to get through this thing. I still believe we need to practice self-care first and foremost during this crisis. It's just clear that it's not going to be a short-term thing. Don't try to set any records. You don't have to try to run an ultra marathon or anything, but this is going to be our life for the next 12 months. So, you know, take care of yourself, but don't let yourself off the hook too, too much. Uh, Got to take care of yourself during this stuff. Okay, let's talk about Trip Lanier. Trip Lanier was kind enough to have me on his podcast a year ago to help me promote this new podcast called Crazy Money. His podcast is called The New Man Podcast, Beyond the Macho Jerk and the New Age Wimp, and it's been downloaded millions of times over the past dozen years. He'll talk about it in a little bit. His uh, guests are some of the most recognizable names in the wellness field and the achievement or motivation field. They include Tim Ferriss, Stephen Pressfield, Laird Hamilton, Ryan Holiday, who was a previous Crazy Money guest. Isn't he Mark Widener, who just found out? One of my loyal listeners, Mark Widener, my buddy, didn't realize that Ryan had been a guest on this show until just earlier today when I informed him via email. Mark Manson, Phil Stutz, Robert Green, Alan Alda, and me. I'm pleased to be in that company. I'm not sure Alan Alda would be so blown away that we had been on the same podcast, but I'm psyched about it. The book is called, This Book Will Make You Dangerous, The Irreverent Guide for Men Who Refuse to Settle. And as you'll hear, we talk about what dangerous means. And basically we talk about what happens specifically to men a lot, but what happens when success isn't fulfilling? What do you find out in middle age when you've achieved all these dreams, all these goals you've set out for yourself and you get there and it's like, huh, why don't I feel alive? Why don't I feel lit up? Why do I dread going to the office every day? Let me tell you more about Trip. Since 2005, Trip has spent thousands of hours coaching people, mostly guys, on how to get out of the rat race and align their work with their personal values. Over the years, he's designed several businesses to support a simple lifestyle focused on freedom, aliveness, fun, and love. Is that really possible? Do you think that's possible? We're going to talk about it. Do you think it's possible to live on your own terms to do that? 
to design a way that you can actually live and be excited about the work that you do every day, man, wouldn't that be awesome? That's what I'm trying to do. I haven't figured out how to monetize this bad boy yet, but I am excited about what I get to do every day. Would you even know how to measure your life if you took the money scorecard off the table? Huh, I don't know. Tripp has designed his life to get the most out of it that he can. He is engaged in everything from 10-day silent meditation retreats to plant medicine journeys to men's group in the Costa Rican jungle. Plant medicine, also in air quotes. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? He lives in a small beach town in North Carolina where he surfs, plays music, and enjoys a simple life with his wife and daughter. Man, that sounds nice. That sounds really nice. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Trip. Linear. Most of us are going through our lives where we're protecting our ass, or we're kissing some ass, or we're proving that we're not an ass. And it just <laughs> gets exhausting. Right. It just right. gets exhausting because none of that is aligned with freedom, aliveness, love, and peace. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. Welcome to Crazy Money. Trip Lanier, welcome to Crazy Money. Thank you, Paul. Good to talk to you again. It's yeah, good to see you. Nice to be with you again a year later. Trip, you describe yourself as a man's, as, not as a man's coach, but as a men's coach. You're the man's <laughs> man. You're the men's coach. What does a men's coach mean? Well, beyond the obvious of just primarily working with men, there's an aspect of working with men, which means that we kind of get to get in the clubhouse a bit. And in a very benign way, it's a safe place. Guys don't typically want to talk about what's really going on with them. They tend to be really close, you know, uptight. And so when they understand it's like, hey, this is a safe place. We can talk about what's really going on with your finances. We can talk about what's really going on with your marriage, your sex life, et cetera, et cetera. They feel more open to addressing those things. And then we can actually do something about it. So I think there's something in there about like, hey, I work specifically with men. It lets them know that it's a safe place. So let's discuss my gambling problem and my erectile dysfunction. Uh, <laughs> All right. No, so that's uh, Wednesday. No. <laughs> okay. Of now, course. <laughs> so surely there are people that are dealing with that, but that's not what we're going to tackle today. Let me give you a hypothetical scenario. I'm 45 years old. I make a lot of money, however you want to define that. I could be in consulting. I could be in the law. I could be some kind of professional, but every day, at my job feels like torture and I'm dying inside. How can you help me? I know this guy. I talk to this guy a lot. These are the guys that I typically talk to. They're the ones that from the outside look like they've got it all together. They're living the American dream. And even to themselves, they're like, what can I complain about? Like everything's right. going really well. And so there's this bind that they're already in. It's like, can I really bitch and complain about what I've got? Who am I to do that? I'd be a, a jerk. Like look at where my grandfather used to live or beyond him. It's like, I, I can't complain about this. So they tend to box up that they're dissatisfied. And then they get into a place where they start to get more and more fragile. They start to get more and more worn down. And a lot of them are buying into some kind of a script that says, I can't change lanes. I can't do anything about this. I got to just sit this out for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Right. And to me, like that's a real waste of time. I like to work with these guys and say, what can you leverage here? You're 45 what could we do here that would be fun? What would have you feel more free? What would have you feel more alive and also bring some meaning into your life so that your days of progressing and your days of growth aren't behind you? But Tripp, I'm working 65 hours a week. I got three kids who are in private school and I'm going to have to pay 
whatever, $300,000 in college tuition for each of them in 15 years. How can I change lanes? You change your name and you leave town. And the- <laughs> <laughs> hey, Buddha did it. Why can't I? <laughs> Why can't I do it, right? When I'm working with a guy like this, I like to get, I call these the monsters under the bed. Let's get them all out on in front of because they usually these things just seem so terrible and they seem unmovable. And most of the time when we, when you got a kid and you say, let's go look at the monster in the bed, let's go get a flashlight. We take a look at them and a lot of times they're really not that big of a deal. They're negotiable. They're things that maybe we don't even really want anymore, but we've convinced ourselves that they're somehow sacred. So, well, let's take a look. Does it really mean that much to have ABC in your life or XYZ? Does it really mean you still have to continue to work 65 hours a week? Most of the time, these guys are just still stuck in this old pattern of needing to prove that they're a badass or needing to prove that they're not a lazy dweeb or whatever. And so they're still in this game that they played in their 20s, well into their 40s, and it's exhausting them. Yeah, I got a buddy who says that the legal business is a pie-eating contest, and the award for winning it is more pie. How do you keep yourself from just playing the game over and over and over to the extent that you're wearing yourself down? I think you got to recognize when you're in a herd mentality. That's the first piece. When we're in a herd mentality, we tend to look for direction side to side. We look to others. Well, that guy's making this amount. That means I should be making that much or more. We don't have any sense of inner authority. We don't have a guidance system within ourselves that says, wait a second, what do I really want? I'm going to be dead someday. Is really my whole purpose in life is to make sure that Joe doesn't make more money than me (laughs) or get more pie than me? Is that really what this is all about? Is this why I'm going to piss away the time that I have to be with my family or to go have the experiences I most want to have? So when you understand that you're in that mentality and you're stuck in that, I would say you don't have a really formidable opponent when he's just out there in a giant pissing match. Come back. What do you really want? instead of jumping through hoops. And that's a much deeper conversation to have, but that's usually the first conversation I start to have with guys. And it's, it's why I lead them through a, an exercise and say, well, I want you to stare at the ceiling for a while because that's the view you're going to have in the last few moments of your life. Let's hmm. practice that now. Let's practice dying now. Are you okay with how you're living? Is this okay right now? Because it could happen six days from now or 60 years from now. Are you okay with that? And most of the time they're not. They don't feel that they're in alignment with how they're living. And so it's like, well, let's see if we can start to pack things more in the direction of what that alignment would be. And then we start to see that what Joe's making, we don't have to care about that. Can you give me some anonymized examples of sort of how you've walked guys through this process of viewing themselves as more than their paycheck at the firm? How did you guide them into diversifying their lives and finding both economic security and the aliveness that you talk about in your book? First off, you got to recognize where we are on a spectrum of learning, right? So for most guys, they're content to be miserable, which is a weird <laughs> paradoxical statement. I got to write that one down. Yeah, but yeah. they are. Everybody around them is kind of miserable. It's kind of the same crap, different day kind of mentality. So they, hey, this is normal. And then there's a few guys that start to get this, wait a second, is this really it? Is this really what I'm up for? And those guys start to get curious. They may start listening to a podcast. They may start reading a book here and there. And they may start to have these conversations out in the world. And then there's those guys that are like, F it. I'm going to do something about this. And I call this very technical point in the process. Joseph Campbell called it the separation in the hero's journey. And I call it post-F it, post it, if you want to believe that <laughs> sure, out. So there's sure. pre-fuck it and post-fuck it. <laughs> I'm doing something now. I'm actually going to get involved here. Mm-hmm. So- to come back to your question, the guys that are going to do the work are the ones that are post-effort. They are the ones that are curious and they're willing 
to get their hands dirty. They're not waiting to be rescued anymore. Here's an example. There was a guy that I worked with. He'd been in the tech industry, I don't know, 15, 20 years, been around all kinds of guys and all this stuff. And everybody made lots of money, billions of dollars, et cetera, et cetera. He was known as the shark. He was known as the shark in his world. He come home from work and he was this loving father. He was connected with other people in the recovery community. He was this really big hearted person, but he told himself that in order to be successful, he had to be willing to take people out at the knees. <laughs> I know this guy. You I know worked, this guy. I worked with him. Right. So there's a lot of him out there. We were having a meeting. I was sitting across from him in Santa Monica and he says, do you think I can have a heart and still be successful? It was like as if these two worlds couldn't combine that somehow what he was really attached to, which was, quote, being successful, which probably meant I do well and I look good in the world. You know, the finances were still pretty important to him, but it wasn't that big of a deal. It was still about ego. It was still about, I got to be the winner. I got to be the big cheese. He didn't know if he could do that and still be compassionate and empathetic towards others. And so through our work together, it was like, well, let's see. Let's see if it's possible. I wasn't going to bang him on the head. It's like, let's see where these, in these areas where you could start to be more compassionate, more empathetic. And what he found was that you just need to learn how to do relationship a bit better. You just need to listen a bit more. So instead of playing the chess game five, six moves out, he just started to sit down and talk to people. And he forged better relationships. And I would say that he's doing much better today than he was doing on a path that was not sustainable. He was eventually just going to piss everybody off and be out of the game. Right. When you ask your clients to describe their best life, what kind of metrics do they hit you with at first? I usually hear the outcomes, the stuff we can measure. So it's how much money's in the bank. I want to be able to live in this neighborhood. I want my kids going to this school. I want my wife to be able to go to whatever club. I want blah, 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 blah. I want this amount of body fat, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> all makes sense. That's wonderful. They're all theories though. They're all theories. For every one of those measurable, objective outcomes, there's a theory that says, if I had this, then I would feel something else. I'd have this objective experience. And I think this is what's really missing from a lot of people that I talk to is that what happens is they, they get this idea in their heads, like, well, I'm going to have this money. We're going to live in this neighborhood. We're going to have this house. We're going to be in the club and blah, 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 blah. They put their head down for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 plus years to get that and make that happen. They make it happen, and then it feels hollow. They got the pie, and it's not fulfilling. And they wonder, it's like, well, what's wrong? What's missing? Something's missing. So what does that tell me? Usually when they get there, they still feel kind of trapped or drained or isolated or bored or overwhelmed. So if that wasn't the game, then maybe it was the opposite. Instead of trapped, it was free. Instead of drained, it was alive. Instead of isolated, it was connected and desired. Instead of bored and overwhelmed, it was peace of mind. So when we talk about metrics, I have that guy write all that objective stuff out. And then I take him a step further and I say, well, how do you imagine it would feel? How would you know if it was worthwhile? And then I say, regardless of that objective stuff, we know that we're ultimately playing for these subjective experiences. So we have lots of pathways to get us up this mountain. We don't have to go for the only way to get this is with this specific outcome. And a lot of guys relax. They realize they maybe don't have to go up this huge mountain in order to make something happen, that they might be a lot closer to these, these desired experiences than they can imagine. When I think about guys that are middle-aged, making a lot of money, and they feel trapped in their job, they're missing a lot of those elements that you were just mentioning. And you lay them out in your book, freedom, aliveness, love, and peace. Let's walk through those and 
talk about what each of those means and why it's important. Freedom for a lot of folks, they tend to think of it as flexibility. Once I have all this money, then I'll be free to whatever. And this could be <laughs> FU money. I don't know, maybe, if you know, maybe you know a little bit about this. So it's like, then I can tell people to go take a hike. Yes, can. you can. You can do that. In fact, you might <laughs> you just do it. I have a theory about FU money and it's not called that because you can say it. It's because you will say it because you're not aligned with what you want from work. Beautiful, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of us, we stop there. We think that one day we will get there and then we'll finally be free. So we've already put ourselves in some kind of a mental prison. Most of the time, guys don't want to admit how vain they are. And so freedom is really, I'm not worried if somebody thinks I'm a loser. I'm not worried if somebody thinks that I'm lazy or I don't measure up in some way. We're back to that pie eating contest, which drives so many guys. So many of us are on this path to prove that we're not a loser, that we, we <laughs> let it get the best of us. Right. What's the laugh? Oh, I just think it's hilarious to think about like, I wake up every day and my mission is to prove I'm not a loser. That's pretty common. You'd be surprised how when you start to drill down to what's driving these guys, it's mm -hmm. like, why is it so important? Why are you so committed? Yeah. And then you can actually deliver like, here's the thing that would make a difference. And they're like, I'm going to look like a moron if I do that. There's no way I'm doing that. Well, it's funny you say this. And as I was reading, I thought about my own story a lot because I'm entirely self-centered, but no, like when I did make some money at Facebook and I did probably engaged in a little bit of the FU conversation where I shouldn't have. But I found myself sort of, the first three months after leaving were fantastic. And then I didn't know what to do with myself. And eventually I summoned the courage to go back and do an open mic because I knew comedy was, that was the phone that was ringing for me, right? And I bombed so bad that on the way home, I was like, I've got to start looking for a job tomorrow because this is a foolish way to spend my life. And I actually went back to work for a year in a job that I didn't want for a company that didn't excite me. People were great, but a company did not excite me. And, and I did it because I was afraid of looking foolish. I did it because I needed to take the next logical, safe step in my career without thinking about how does it get me to those elements of the experiences that you're describing. And recognizing that I had done that when I left that job a year later, I was like, I have to seek those things out. That has to be the goal, not what's safe. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. I think it's helpful to just keep in mind that we're always to some degree protecting and pleasing and proving. Mm. We're protecting our time, our energy, our money. We're protecting ourselves from any kind of discomfort. How many people want to move from a 5,000 square foot place to a 900 square foot place? Not likely, right? There's this fear of even going backwards. It feels so uncomfortable. There's this sense of we're always in a state of pleasing, mm. right? We've got to please others and make sure that we don't rock the boat. That can be that can be someone's entire life purpose is they go through their days to make sure nobody gets upset with them. And then there's the proving aspect, which is I better not do anything where anybody can point out my flaws or criticize me or come at my plan. So it's not about what's effective or what's best or what's meaningful. It's just making sure I cover my ass. Right. And most of us are going through our lives where we're protecting our ass, or we're kissing some ass, or we're proving that we're not an ass. And it just <laughs> gets exhausting. Right. It just right. gets exhausting because none of that is aligned with freedom, aliveness, love, and peace, as we mentioned before. So I come to you and, I, and you walk me through the exercise. What does the ideal life look like? We realize that I'm using an external scorecard that isn't tied to the way I actually feel. Then you want me to describe 
how I want to feel in my life? How do you help me get there? We start to create experiments. Some of us are so focused on like, I'll only go do the thing if it's a sure thing. I need the perfect plan. I need to know it's all going to work out and then I'm going to invest in it. So I just say, look, we're not going to work together if you're not willing to take some chances and go get your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. It just isn't going to work. This is the creative process. You as a comedian, you understand this. You're going to go up on stage. You're going to try joking. It might work, might not, but you're going to hone it. You're going to continue to hone it. This is all part of the same thing. And so we start to create these experiments. And all along the way, we're expanding those places where he thinks he needs to protect himself or he needs to please others or he needs to prove something. All of those areas are going to be the places where he's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't think I can do it. And I say, you're going to do it. And you're going to do it by Friday. And he does it by Friday. And he comes back. And he's like, I bombed. I'm still alive. And I feel great. <laughs> don't send any more comedians, people needing therapy to the comedy club. They're crowded enough as it is. Actually, they're not even open right now. But uh, Right. But it's, it's like when we burst through that edge, when we're no longer playing it safe all the time, that's where we find our aliveness. That's where we feel free. That's where we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm actually doing this. I'm living my life. And we start to realize we don't always have to be comfortable. We don't always have to be safe. And we don't always have to look good. And lo and behold, life starts to get a lot more interesting. You cite a Bruce Lee quote, freedom discovers the man the moment he loses concern over what impression he is making or about to make. What does that mean to you? I find that this is true for me. I find that this is true for most guys that when they come to me with the excuse about why they're not going to do something, they always blame resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the money you know what? My wife's really not going to like that and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But when it really starts to come down to it, there's this fear of failing. Well, what's fear of failure? It's the fear of looking like a moron. The fear of doing something where they're going to be rejected or cast out or whatever that thing is that they just can't stand to see about themselves. And that's some kind of deeper armchair psychology stuff. But man, I see it day after day after day. And I was like, if we can just start to learn that that's really what's holding us back more and more, we don't have to get hung up on our excuses about time or money or energy or whatever our wife thinks. Because honestly, most of the time when I, ha- I say, go check this out with your wife and see if it's true. She's like, yes, please do it. You're, you're a prick around this house. You need to do something <laughs> that you actually enjoy. And he's like, oh, well, okay. What changes for guys between age 25 and age 45 that Everything that we planned our lives around either doesn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out, or it just doesn't have the same kind of palpable, gritty type of satisfaction that when we were 25, we imagined it would have. Testosterone's a big one. Oh, damn it. We're back to erectile dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) I fell into your trap, Trip Lanier. Well, that's why I was sent here to talk to you, Paul. (laughs) I got another email. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Blue Chews. (laughs) They work, by the way. They're fantastic. Anyway, go ahead. I think testosterone is a big part of it, right? Like me being young, dumb, and full of whatever rhymes with young and dumb. There's this like we can take on the world. And then the world just, it beats us up. It beats us up. We get tired. Our brains change. They literally change. They physically morph into different ways of thinking and doing things. And so that aliveness is typically one of the first things to go. And so life can start to have this kind of monotony to it because we're pattern seekers. We're always looking for the predictability. We, we are wired to seek stability and certainty. And so as we become more and more successful, we actually tend to get a bit more fragile. 
we get more and more creature comforts in our life. We get more and more certainty. One of my friends coaches a guy, this guy had a breakdown because he had to fly coach one time. I hear him. Boy. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a struggle, it's like, man. That, struggle. You would, you would think though, in kind of a, a biological evolutionary standpoint that Success would mean we were stronger. We were more resilient. But in fact, our version of success is making us into pansies. And so I think as we're getting older, we're not resilient. We're not the toughest guys. We're more likely to be like, yeah, I don't want to do it. You do it. I don't want to mow my yard. I don't want to get hot. You know, it's like that kind of thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hang on. My yard guys are here. I got to tell them to turn off the leaf blower. Um, I don't do my yard. <laughs> I have a theory on the coach class thing. I think it's because he's not in tune with why he's getting on that plane he is not viscerally connected to his mission and flying coach class, not just inconvenient and a little uncomfortable. It's attacking the status and the compensation he's getting from his job. When I was working in the corporate world, if I was booked in anything less than a Weston, I would have been very disappointed. But now that I'm doing what I want to do, I don't give a shit where I stay. The hotel doesn't matter. All the hotels are more or less the same, right? I mean, as long as there's good Wi-Fi and it's not disgusting, it doesn't matter if it's a Hilton Garden Inn or the Four Seasons. It really doesn't because I'm not there for the hotel. I'm there to do what I want to do. I'm there because I'm on a mission. But if I'm on somebody else's mission, that hotel matters because it's part of my compensation. I think it's part of the deeper process when you bring up mission. Most of us aren't really clear about our mission. So- when everything seems important, then nothing's important. What does that it's, mean? It, Why are you trying to, to confuse me, Trip? When we, when we don't understand our mission, then like you said, I'm suddenly going to get bent out of shape about the Weston or not being at the Weston. But if I'm really clear, hey, I'm, I'm here to do this show. I'm here to have a great time. I'm here to connect with these people. I'm here to try out this material or whatever. I'm here to have this sense of aliveness because two minutes before I go on, I'm like, oh, yeah. God, like that yeah. thing then the hotel is not on that list of things that are that important anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you're not doing anything that feels important to you, it doesn't have any meaning, it doesn't matter, you're just going through the motions, then you're going to start to sweat all the little stuff. There's no dimensionality to your life. For sure. For sure. So let's talk about the book because all this stuff we're talking about is in the book. But the title of this book is This Book Will Make You Dangerous. What does dangerous mean? It's coming back to this idea that as we have evolved and as we've gotten more and more, quote, successful, we're getting fragile. Most of us, the whole mission in our life has been, how do I get more comfort? I want to have the more air-conditioned room with the nicer couch and the bigger TV and the faster Wi-Fi because, God, I just can't stand 30 megabits per second. Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to do 30? I need 300. Like, It's getting wrapped up in this stuff. And then convinced that we can't live without it. I can't live without the Weston. It starts to feel dangerous to not be comfortable all the time. It starts to feel dangerous to have a little bit of uncertainty around our time and energy and money so we don't experiment with things. Starts to feel dangerous when we're willing to put our self-image or our status on the line a bit. I offer in the book that if you're tired of feeling drained or trapped or isolated or bored or overwhelmed, then all the good stuff's on the other side of just putting your toe across the line of what feels dangerous. doesn't mean you're going to be reckless. doesn't mean you're going to be a hedonist or stupid or inconsiderate. It's just looking for those ways that we don't always have to play it safe. And that's where we start to feel more of the good stuff. 
Do you think most guys know what that thing they want to do is that would make them feel alive and they're just afraid to admit it? Or do you help them discover that part of themselves? Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, that's even a challenge in my life now that I'm a husband and a father and the days of my 20s of traveling in a van with two other guys and playing rock shows. I'm not doing that anymore. I can live in the past and try to relive that stuff. And it's still fun for me to play music, but it's not on the same terms. So aliveness is one of those things that we're constantly evolving and nothing, none of this stuff is set it and forget it. Part of that autopilot stuff where we just want to be certain all the time. And so what has me feel alive is something that we're leaning into every day. And so instead of trying to tackle it on a big level, like what's this big thing that I need to do in my life that'll have me feel alive? I just say, what's the little tiny thing that you would do today that would have you feel alive? Maybe it's pulling a prank on somebody. Maybe it's, <laughs> it could be like that. That's really fun to do, right? Yeah. If that's your thing. For some, it's like, I'm going to take this other route to work because I like driving by the lake. And it's like, I get this moment. It might not be the most fast or efficient way to get there, but that's what has me feel more alive. Or I'm going to even wear this shirt. These really mundane choices are either contributing to our aliveness or they're just helping to stay on autopilot. I'd rather you start to rework that wiring in your brain where you are tapping into things and saying, yeah, I like this word better in my joke, or I like this phrase better in this piece that I'm writing, or I'm going to offer to my wife that I want to try XYZ in the bedroom. It's starting to lean into those places where it feels a little dangerous to do it. Oh no, might not be, might not go so well, but that's where the aliveness would be. And then from there, the big stuff starts to show up and we're geared up. We're ready for it. We've got our muscles ready. Do you help reframe people's orientation toward work? For example, I'm a consultant. I've been doing it for 25 years. I traveled, you know, three and a half weeks a month. I don't see how I could possibly find joy in this. Am I just looking at it the wrong way? I think so. A lot of the guys that I work with really don't understand what they do. They see their job as getting on a plane and going to these meetings and blah, 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 and then writing up a report. They really don't get the impact of what they do. They're disconnected from it. And so a lot of times in the work that I do, especially for guys that are wanting to transition from one career to the next, they'll say, like, well, I'm just a restaurant owner, or I'm just a consultant, or I'm just this. They get lost in that title. When in actuality, they've had to learn a ton of different skills and learn how to manage people, learn how to solve all kinds of problems, we can start to mine for gold in those places and say, well, wait a second, how can we take this skill set and start to apply it to people you actually care about or to a cause you care about or to a business you actually care about? So instead of just seeing yourself as a consultant, you know how to solve these 5, 10, 15 different problems. Let's ramp that up a bit. You've got 10 years of experience. You've managed millions of dollars in this. You've made millions of dollars over the course of your career. Let's quit calling you just a consultant and let's see that when you enter the room and you're part of this project, this is how you move the needle. And something comes alive for them when they really understand that, oh yeah, I actually do something here. The subtitle of the book is The Irreverent Guide for Men Who Refuse to Settle. What does settling look like? Settling looks like that same crap, different day. I got nothing to look forward to. Or yeah, I got something to look forward to. That couple's coming over to the house and I'm going to act like I really care about this guy's golf game again. It's like, it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know that guy too. I know him. Johnny Stivers. I'm just kidding. Not Johnny Stivers. He's, he's the best. 
whatever that thing is where it just becomes the norm to feel drained and to go through this drudgery and that kind of thing. It's like, oh, well, I'm looking around. I see all these other guys that are kind of in that place and they're self-medicating and whatever. It's like, well, that's, that's what you want. That's great. Well, what if we didn't have to settle for that? What if we could just even have 5% more aliveness or more freedom? Oh, it starts to become contagious. You start looking for other ways to do that a bit more. And then other guys get curious, like, man, what are you, what are you doing? I want a piece of that action. <laughs> so what are the excuses that you hear from these guys who acknowledge the problem, but are having trouble making the leap? I don't mean quitting their job. I mean, committing to a life of aliveness and freedom. I hear a lot of excuses. A lot of them are, I'm not ready. I don't have the perfect plan. A lot of guys really believe in this perfect plan, that this perfect plan exists out there and they just need to sit there and wait and it's going to come along. The perfect plan is an excuse for, I don't want to have to deal with uncertainty. I don't want to risk my time or energy or money. I don't want to get my hands dirty. There's no perfect plan. So we just dive in. I kick them right off the diving board and they're getting wet. I hear that I'm not ready. I'm not inspired or I'm not confident. That comes from a mindset that thinks that I need to be confident and I need to be inspired to get into this, which is completely backwards. We gain confidence and we build a fire as we go. So we might have a little spark getting into something, but we wouldn't be confident about it. We wouldn't feel ready to do it until we've done it for a while and we've gained some skill around it to be able to do it more and more. I think that's one of the biggest ones is like, they feel like they've got to be ready as if their emotions or their mood is going to give them permission to do what's right for them. What does choose to be an adult mean? Choosing to be an adult means that we recognize that most of the time we're walking around like 45 year old boys. (laughs) Uh, Guilty. With with erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Hey, mild erectile erectile dysfunction. My bad. Um, 45 year old boys. What does that mean? You'd be surprised how many guys think that making a fuss is how you solve a problem in life. So you have kids. What did they do when they were young? If there was a problem, they'd make a fuss. And it was your job to go down and figure out what they needed. Or it was your wife's job to go, like, oh, what do they need? They got a poopy diaper. They need milk. They're too hot, too cold. It was somebody else's responsibility to figure out what they want. There are guys that grow up and they inhabit adult bodies but they never outgrow this childish way of getting what they want. They still expect their partner or their job or the world at large to figure out what they want for them and then provide it. This is one of the reasons why most people are really disappointed with their career. They're really disappointed with their job is because they really think the job is going to take care of everything for them. There's this weird belief that it's the job's job to make them feel fulfilled instead of recognizing, hey, it's my personal responsibility. My job is just something that empowers me to do what I enjoy doing. Yeah. Oh, if I'm not happy, it's my wife's fault. She should figure out what I want and then she should provide it for me. I'm going to make a fuss or I'm going to go get my pouty lip out and then she's got to figure it out. This pattern happens a lot. So what's it mean to be an adult? All right, if I'm not happy, it's up to me. What's going on? If I feel trapped, what would have me feel free? If I'm feeling drained, what would have me feel more alive? I'm feeling isolated, et cetera, et cetera. And you come back and you say, well, I'm going to figure this out. I want X, Y, Z. And then you go talk to somebody. Hey, you know what I'd like? Would you be willing to do X, Y, Z? Would you be willing to try ABC? And then start to engage the world that way instead of, you should just know what I want and I shouldn't have to ask for it. Does the world owe me anything? 
You? Yeah. I mean, come on, Paul. You've done <laughs> No, I mean, I mean this, this is for other guys. Does the, world, does the world owe other guys anything? No. Why would it? You, <laughs> I'm baffled by that question. I think you're pointing to something where there is that sense of entitlement that I should be put off if things aren't going exactly the way that I want them. And I have to even think about why that is. And I have to then take responsibility for it. Yes. I, My existence matters. I mean, it matters. <laughs> You're pointing right to that part of us that is so self-absorbed and has so much to prove and so much to protect. I know you're playing here, but that drives so much of what we do. It's also the thing that if we can't get over ourselves, we're in that prison. Yeah, you offer a really interesting meditation or mantra that I probably would have benefited from when I was in the corporate world. You ask people to meditate or to repeat this phrase daily. I let go of any hope that I'll be recognized or appreciated or blank due to anything I do today. What's so important of letting go of appreciation? First off, I got that from Phil Stutz. He's a fantastic therapist and coach. You know, I didn't personally need that, but he just gave that to me. Hey, I got into this podcasting game for uh, <laughs> selfless reasons. I didn't want to be recognized or, yeah. or acknowledged. Come on. Well, you got to think about it. How often are we, we hold the door for somebody or we let somebody in in traffic or we post something online or we text a friend or whatever it is. And there's this hook underneath. I need something in return. I expect something in return. You owe me something. I'm entitled. You're speaking directly to this aspect of us that feels entitled. There's a lot of misery there. There's a lot of misery there, especially when we really believe that we need to be adored and admired and elevated above others. And so I put this idea into the book because most of the time we're not entitled to that. And it gets in the way of us asking better questions, which is instead of what would have me be adored today, what would have me be admired today? well, let me put on a thong and take a picture of my ass and put it on Instagram. Okay, that might work. You've seen, my, for you've, you. you've seen my feed. <laughs> <laughs> or what would be effective today? What would, what would actually light me up? Instead of getting this junk food version of love you know, through admiration and attention, I could do something that actually feels fulfilling, that actually feels nourishing to me. And that's typically when we're moving the needle. We're, we're doing something that actually matters in the world. Those two things have a vastly different experience to us. And sometimes we're not even conscious of where we're lit up. And you asked one of your clients to keep track of what parts of his week he felt the most alive. And he came back to you with a sort of uh, unexpected anecdote. Yeah. I had one client out in Los Angeles. I mean, talk about expecting to be admired. Talk about self-absorbed people. That's Los Angeles. Talk about self-absorbed people, right? So- Yeah. I mean, that's the game, right? It's like, what am I going to do today to be admired? What am I going to do today to be adored? What am I going to do today to be elevated and to be better than? Most of those guys don't even care about money. It's just about the attention. That's the currency. (laughs) So you go beyond that. He's just miserable, right? He's all he can think about are all the ways other people are getting more attention than him. So I said, track this. Let's just track where you feel more alive this week. Let's just see what happens. He ends up going to Home Depot and some lady just walks up to him, and an old lady, and asks him if he would help her find a light bulb. He goes along with it. He's chatting with her. He finds the light bulb and she's so thankful. And hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You're so nice, blah, blah. And he's like, that was the best part of the entire week is when he wasn't worrying about himself, when he was just committing an act of service with somebody. She didn't come to him because of who he was and his you know, career and all that kind of stuff. It was just because he was helpful. 
what we did is we took that little bit of information, just found some ways in his life to find more of those places. Not so he could post it on social media and have everybody kiss his ass, but just because it, it's what had him feel more alive and actually more loving and connected to other people. Can you mention the ways he did that? I had him make a, I think if I could remember this correctly, I do this with others, like go find little secret ways to impact people. So they'll never know that you did it. Go find little ways that you could do something nice for somebody and they're never going to know that you did it. So you're walking down the road and there's the parking meters. Just fill up the parking meters as you go. Don't expect (laughs) anybody to kiss your ass for it, right? That's in a zero seven song. He <laughs> feed, it, yeah, wait. he feeds other people's parking meters. Okay. Yeah, it's a so little, I, anyway. I don't think any of this is necessarily original, but it's about learning to flex that muscle where look what we're doing when we're looking for ways to help other people selflessly. We're not going through that cycle of what can I do to get attention? What do I do to get people to notice me? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a break. We get a break from that narcissistic pain in the ass part of ourselves. Yeah. How do I bring more love into my life? Well, I don't know, Paul. I mean, this is a hard one for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Will you love me? Trev, will you love me? Say you love me. I got a lot of love in my life. My life is really filled with love, but there's ways to bring more love into everyone's life. I think so. I think one of the ways is recognizing where interactions feel draining. So this is Mm. where feeling trapped or feeling drained or feeling isolated feeling bored, feeling overwhelmed. We're usually trying to find ways to numb that stuff. Oh, I don't want to feel this way. I'm stuck in an airport. This is a drag. It's like, what happens if we feel that? And instead of running away from it, we get curious. So I'm feeling isolated. What would have me feel more loving? What would have me feel more connected? I could have a shallow conversation with a good friend, kind of catch up and just half-ass be a part of it. Or I could get curious. Hey, man, you never told me about that time when your dad was sick and I wasn't there for you. I've just always wanted to know. Like, it's suddenly you have these doors to go into these places that, oh man, what's he going to think of me? This might be uncomfortable. This might be kind of risky. He might get mad. Oh, this is dangerous. This is a little bit dangerous. Mm. And it's finding those places by bringing that curiosity, being willing to be vulnerable, say, I think of you, I worry about you, I'm concerned. We open that door to have that greater connection. Maybe the last conversation we have to have with this guy, we never know, but it could be something meaningful and real instead of just settling for the same old thing, talking about the president or talking about whoever's sick this week. Did you read that Sebastian Younger book, Tribes? I did not know. Oh, you, ha- oh, you got to read it, man. It's an excellent read. In it, he discusses the importance of struggle and the importance of work and not being comfortable, essentially. And he talks about and I'm paraphrasing, so I'll get it wrong, and apologies, Mr. Younger, if you're listening. But he talks about either Navy SEALs or Green Berets who, after they did their service, they looked back on their life, and the happiest they ever were was when they were in Iraq or in Afghanistan. And they talk about what it felt like to be surrounded by guys that they trusted 100% with their life. And another way to look at that is like, that's love, because they know that guy next to them will lay down his life for him if that's what the situation calls for. How do you build trust among the people you're around, even if you haven't chosen them? Give it to them. It seems counterproductive. We can do that thing where we're waiting for things to be perfect. We're waiting for the safety. We're waiting for this green light. Or we could just simply lean in. Does this guy meet me here? And you may find, and this is true for me, that 
when you lean in, some guys are going to be scared and they're going to go away. Better to find out about that now. Right? <laughs> right. You don't have to go, you don't have to go way over the top and be right. like, hey man, you know, I was in college. I slept with a guy, looked just like you. You, know, <laughs> you never you don't have to go overboard, whatever that might be. You can tiptoe into the water here, but it's just recognizing like, oh, the words kind of just feel whatever, flimsy. This isn't a real relationship here. Where could I start to lean in? Ask some questions here that might be a little edgy. Hey, what do you really think about this? Or start to share something that might be a little edgy for you. And, and what I've found, because I talk to guys all the time, all around the country, if not the world, they're like, I can't meet good men that want to be friends. It's like, well, wait a second. How many of us are just kind of standing side by side, wanting the same thing, wanting that genuine connection and deep trust, but we're just not engaging at that level. We're tolerating for whatever is on the sports feed. Right. Yeah. Try posting that on Facebook and see you're either going to get ridiculed or a whole lot of very interesting spam. Let's talk about that for just a second because, you know, since you deal with guys mostly, you sort of deal with the psychology of guys. And there's been, you know, a lot of toxic masculinity in the news in the past couple of years. Are guys just naturally predatory a-holes? We were. Yeah, I think that was part of the, the wiring. As far back as you go, you're going to find that that aggression is part of the evolutionary process, unfortunately. I'm not an expert in this arena, but it doesn't surprise me when I read about how apes treat one another, that there's rape in the ape community, that there's younger apes getting the shit beat out of them if they challenge the older ape. Like That's part of our wiring. Even when I go surfing, I've watched dolphins do things where I'm like, that's not cool, dolphin. Like I watch them do <laughs> dolphins are a little rapey. <laughs> oh, God. It's not cool. Oh, Disturbing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. So to understand that those primitive ways of functioning are part of our wiring, it's in there. And then it's our job to evolve. It's our job to be mindful of it. It's not an excuse, but it's our job to not be lazy and say, okay, so I have different parts of my brain than these other animals do. I get to function at a higher level. I don't have to be ruled by these more primitive parts of my brain. I can be in relationship. I can take the perspective of the other person and appreciate what it's actually like to be them and not want to do anything to hurt them or diminish them in some way. Mm. Let's talk about your career for a second. You seem to have built a life designed around your values. How did you get started in your career building it the way you've built it? And why did you choose to do that? I saw college as a joke, like many do. <laughs> Where'd you go to school? <laughs> I went to FSU. Well, there so you go. Do what you will, right? <laughs> but I saw it as a game. I saw it as, okay, here are these pellets and people are running through these mazes to get the pellets. And I was like, this stuff doesn't matter. This stuff doesn't matter. What I need to learn how to do is how to have the best time I can and manage my time and energy to get through this system as best I can. And there were all these distractions. There were women and beer and parties. And I was like, I can't go to the dark side too much. I've got to get through here. I've got to get my little pellet here enough. Of, but I don't need to be consumed by the game. I don't need to get trapped by either side, the hedonistic side or this whole rat racer mentality. And so it was really clear that I think from an early age, I was like, I just need a certain amount of money so that I can make music and surf. I had kind of a I hope to think a little more evolved than Jeff Spicoli kind of outlook on things. Burt Kreischer is a seminal. That's right. Yeah. We know some of the same people. But the idea was that I didn't believe that a job was going to fulfill me from day one. I saw 
a career, something that was going to pay for the lifestyle that I wanted to have and to allow me to do the things that I wanted to do. So my first business, which was in media production, I started five months out of college with an art degree, basically, and used it to fund the lifestyle that I wanted. I was not geared for a job in college. I felt like I was watching the matrix. I saw these people worrying about GPAs and worried about careers. And I just, I never believed that some job or career was going to be the thing that fulfilled me. Mm -hmm. I was really clear that I enjoyed doing things and traveling and making things. I was a musician and I was like, why would I want to go be inside all day or do anything like that? It didn't occur to me that that was going to be the part that was fulfilling. And so essentially developed a business five months out of college so that it would fund my lifestyle. I knew that I only needed a certain amount to live and I only wanted to work a certain amount during the week. And I did that and I was able to pull that off. I had that business for 12 years. Mm. But even then, even though I was doing the four-hour work week, you know, years before Ferris even thought about writing that book, I had clients that were bringing me businesses, political consultant stuff, and it was way out of alignment with my values. I, I just felt like I was ruining my, my karma. <laughs> just like you'd think these ads would run on Saturday Night Live. That's how I'd tell myself, like, nobody's going to believe this stuff. And then a few weeks later, I was like, that guy got elected. It was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? So eventually I sold my piece of that company, got out of it, and then stepped into this unknown, which was, all right, I want to do something with meaning. I actually want to help people, I want to use my skills in the media and telling stories and that type of stuff to actually build people up. And so the podcast was born out of that. I was coaching people during that time. And essentially, it was always about coming back to lifestyle. I never wanted to create a trap with a job. You started your podcast in 2008. Is that right? That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. What did you see back then that made you... I mean, there was nobody on podcasting back then. What did you see that others didn't see? It wasn't me. I was actually coaching some executives that had a little startup. They were trying to get into the podcasting game and create a network. And so they had multiple shows and they were like, you know what? It'd be really cool if you had a show. You'd be fun. I said, well, I'll do it if I can say whatever I want. And I don't have anybody tell me what I can do and not do. They said, absolutely. And so unfortunately for them, the business didn't pan out. That business model wasn't good. And I inherited the show and, and kept it running. That's one of those things about life though, is like when you're waiting for the perfect plan, you'll never get it. I fell ass backwards into that just by doing what I do. I was out coaching, having these conversations that I cared about and engaging people in that way. And then that opportunity showed up. And it's one of the examples I give to people when they're sitting there on the sidelines waiting for this plan to come along. It's like, this doesn't happen like that. You got to go mix it up. You got to be out there talking with people. And then those types of opportunities will reveal themselves. But there's no way I could have planned for that. What part of your work do you enjoy the most? I like the creative process. For me, it's, you know, after being in studios, whether it was, you know, drawing or painting or photography or then in music studios, you never knew what was going to happen that day. You never knew what was going to get made. You woke up that morning, something wasn't there. You go to bed that night, there was something there. There was something new there. And so coaching for me is part of that creative process, except now instead of a canvas or a song, we're using somebody's life or their business. And I just love that thing. Like when a client shows up, I don't know what's going to happen at any given moment. I don't know where it's going to go. It's exciting for me to be in that place. Like, what are we creating? Why is this going to matter? What's the impact it's going to have? And so there's a flow state that happens for me when we get into that creative space. Last question. How do you define success for yourself? It's the degree to which I'm experiencing freedom and aliveness and love and peace of mind. I know that no matter what, I've had places where I had money in the bank and I felt miserable. And that money couldn't buy me the love and the, the peace of mind that I wanted. And there's been places where I've had not a lot of money. I've felt amazing. 
sat on the beach after a great surf session and ate a bag of Tostitos and a, and a tall boy Budweiser. And I was like, I've got it. I've made it. <laughs> so it's just having these, these types of experiences to help me realize that the experiences we most want are a lot closer than we can imagine. What do you do when one of those things gets out of line? Get curious. All right. What needs to happen? If I'm feeling trapped, what's going to have me feel free today instead of I got to make this big, huge plan. And five years from now, I finally feel free. It's more like what's going to have me feel free today. I can also work towards the future, but today I need to be working towards that. That's going to give me satisfaction. Drained, what's going to have me feel alive, isolated, connected, peace of mind. If I'm bored or if I'm overwhelmed, what's going to give me a sense of peace of mind today? And usually that's a conversation. I need to get on the phone and have a hard conversation with somebody and get real with them or you know, resolve a conflict or something and that'll have me feel more at ease. Well, Tripp, I enjoyed the book. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? The book is available anywhere you get books. Amazon is obviously the easiest place. My website, triplinear.com, has more information about the coaching services that I have. And then obviously, the New Man Podcast has many, many years of content that people can check out for free. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes. And the book is called, This Book Will Make You Dangerous, The Irreverent Guide for Men Who Refuse to Settle by my guest, Trip Lanier. Trip, it was excellent to speak with you again. Thanks for joining. Enjoyed it, man. It was great to connect with you too, man. Hey, that was fun, Trip. Thanks very much. I appreciate your time. Good luck with the new book. I enjoy a lot of the things that we talked about today. I think they're really important and that they're very easy to forget about that our goal in life isn't to have the biggest car or the coolest title. Our goal in life is to feel alive. Our goal in life is to be free. Our goal in life is to work with other people whose energy energizes us. That was repetitive. That make us want to be better at whatever it is we do. And I think sometimes there's, you've probably heard the old story. Maybe it's a parable about guys who are laying bricks, building a fence or something. And one guy looks at it as if he's getting nothing out of it. Another guy says, I'm building a wall that will protect the children that live inside of this estate. Each person subsequently kind of raises the stakes and in the end says, you know, I'm really part of a something bigger here, that my work is something bigger. You've read about people who work in sanitation and hospitals, cleaning rooms, and they view themselves as part of the medical team because keeping the environment germ-free is part of saving lives and part of the mission of the hospital. In fact, you know, infection is one of the deadliest parts of hospitals. And so if you can take a look at your work and say, I'm not mopping floors, I'm killing germs, I'm saving lives, you know, that's a powerful, powerful place to be. But sometimes you got to figure out what's really in your heart and go get after that thing that will make you feel alive. I know I talk about myself on here a lot, but I'll tell you this. I really believe what I said about the hotel in this episode, you know, like if you're doing work that you care about, if you're doing work that is an expression of the voice that is inside of you, you will stop worrying about the trivial crap that doesn't pertain to who you are. The where I sit in the plane doesn't matter if I'm getting the opportunity to do my thing, to build my voice, to grow what it is that I'm trying to bring to life through my work. So anyway, if you've listened this far, you're helping me do it too. So thank you for your interest in, in the interviews that I'm putting together in the show. This is your crazy money. If, you, if you've stuck around this long, I sure hope you've given a recommendation to a friend that they might find something of value in crazy money also. And if you haven't, take a second and share this with three friends right now. I am pleased you're here. I am honored that you would dedicate your time to what we discuss on this program. 
If you have any ideas for guests, please shoot me an email at paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. I get a lot of great ideas. I just want to make sure I'm informing myself and filling my head with a lot of different input. So I get a lot of good ideas for guests. I get some not so great ideas for guests, but some of my best shows have been with people who were recommended to me, including Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who was recommended by a listener. That was a great episode from about three weeks ago. If you haven't checked that one out, go check it out. The title is God Wants You to Be Rich. As always, I am grateful to Mike Carano for editing this show. Mike, make me sound smart.